Welcome to a special edition of 15-Minute History, where we're talking about first reactions from the first presidential debate. I'm John Streeter. And I'm Joe Parker. And we're here with a guest. Dan Lindsay. Who's here to provide us with some, uh, some expert commentary here. All right, Joe, we just watched the first presidential debate. General thoughts? I don't know where to start. <laughs> you sound like George Stephanopoulos. It was, it was unbelievable, uh, and not in a good way. Okay. I was very, like most people, about 15 minutes in, I realized it was devolving a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And it uh, just got worse. I don't know that anything pertinent was discussed in terms, because I couldn't tell who was speaking and who was not, given the arguing back and forth. I would venture to guess that not a lot of minds were changed that weren't made up already. Yeah, probably. And I don't think there should be any more debates. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you don't think we should do any more? Not if they're like those. What are your... And they will be. Yeah, 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 yeah. What is your hot take? Very similar. I think as a debate teacher, that side of my brain was screaming the entire night because we're in, in my debate class, we're getting into how you make arguments, how you craft a narrative, how you try and change your audience's mind. The reality in a debate is it's not about changing the other person's mind. Trump is not going to change Biden's mind. Biden's not going to change Trump's change right. Trump's mind. They're supposed to be changing the American people's mind. And and you're right. I don't think any I don't think there are any minds changed tonight. The the more immature part of me enjoyed some of the digs that both sides got in at, uh, at each other, but as far as actually advancing the country's interests rather than your own partisan political interests there's not there was not much not much there yeah. unfortunately dan your thoughts yeah i think that the city on a hill is now in a valley unfortunately it's a good way to put it yeah the the one word i took away from this was sadness that we have fallen this far from where we have started okay so no one this and joe you you mentioned this when we were watching the debate this debate is a microcosm of where we are at as a country right now where no one listens to each other no one takes into account the other side's points whether they be valid or not and debates the points we are we have devolved into a society where we are all about the personal attack and not about debating facts or content agreed yeah, I agree with that, obviously, and both parties had substance to discuss. Yeah, they and they really had do. And they had arguments to present, and those could have been presented in a way that didn't require the moderator to almost physically <laughs> restrain both candidates. Yeah, and it was, you know, I'm laughing because I can't, I can't cry on the air. That I think would lose <laughs> some of our audience, but it, it was, it was. Uh, it was not great. Yeah. I, I do have a question for you, John. Sure. In your experience, both teaching history and teaching debate, how does this debate rank against other presidential debates? And is it because, you know, the first the first reaction is this is the worst debate right. that's ever happened in the history of the United States. Obviously, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't good. And, there was um, a Senate debate in the 1850s that devolved into somebody hitting another person with a cane. Exactly. So we're not we're not to that point yet. So how, how would you rank this from a historical perspective? I can't because, like you said, it just happened. I would need some time, some perspective. I will say you rank debates differently based on whether we're talking substance or style. On substance, 
I think it would probably go down as one of the one of the low points because there was very little substance. I do think that Joe Biden had a slightly better night than I thought he would, honestly, because he would look into the camera and talk to the American people. And even though I disagreed with a lot of what he said, not all of it, I thought his ending on on the importance of going out and voting and his answer to Chris Wallace's question about will you accept the outcome of the election, I thought that was infinitely better than Donald Trump's petulant whining about uh, right. about a, a legitimate issue, which is voter fraud. Correct. But the way he addressed that on substance was not great. So stylistically – I'm sorry. On substance, this was not a great debate. On style, it's hard to go lower than the second presidential debate four years ago where you literally had Hillary Clinton saying, you know, it's really great that Donald Trump is not in charge of our nation's law enforcement system. And he responds, yeah, because you'd be in jail. And I will confess, at the time, I was rolling with laughter, but that's not how you win a debate. That's not – I don't think that changed any minds either, but this is probably going to be pretty low down as well. But we've had some bad debates in the past, so I, I don't, I don't want to say as a historian where this will rank. As a debate teacher, yeah, like I said in the opening, not something that I'm going to show my students and say, okay, guys, here's how you do – a presidential style or, or any kind of, of policy debate. If you're debating an issue that is pure pathos, that's pure emotion, okay, take a little bit uh, from, from Biden and a little bit from Trump, but we don't do those kinds of debates in my classes because there's no substance. And debates really should be about a combination of substance and style. And there was all style, no substance in this one. What do you think of the moderator? Because I think there were three people debating to here tonight. Were there, though? Well... <laughs> Two people and an old man. <laughs> I mean, Chris Wallace and debate. Chris Wallace and Donald Trump had a, a spirited debate. I, I think Joe Biden. He he showed up. Yes, which was what he needed to he do. He didn't fall over. He didn't fall over. So he exceeded expectations. Exactly. So he he did what he needed to do, but he didn't do anything beyond that. So I think the the Chris Wallace. I think by the by the three minute mark, he was regretting his decision to moderate this debate. <laughs> Because it had, from the beginning, descended into chaos. Yeah. And so that did not look well. It will not age well. Um, so I think that from a moderator from a moderator perspective, he did as well as he could, given the current climate. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. I do think it's interesting. He said in a, in a pre-debate interview, my job is to be as invisible as possible. And that was a self you know, he, he assigned himself that task. And in, in that case, I, I don't think he did all that well. Now, did he have to be more visible? Probably because of who he was who he was trying to moderate, a man who will not be moderated by anyone and a man who's a little sleepy. Yeah. Apologies for the partisan comments. I mean, it, it's I'm trying to be funny, but I realize some people be like, hey, you jerk. I did. I do think that Joe Biden did better than a lot of people expected, but I'm I'm trying to be funny. Well, and, it's, ex- and it's late at night. I'm tired. Yeah, that's, we that's just watched it. Yeah. This is a pure hot take. I think the fact that ever that there are groups of people who say that he did well is because their expectations were low to begin with. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of debating strategy. Exactly. You want to lower expectations on your side and yeah. raise them for your opponent. And Biden was way better at that than Trump was. Yeah. Honestly, the only thing that Donald Trump needed to do was let Joe Biden talk Mm -hmm. and back himself into a corner. He didn't do that. So I think by by the constant interruptions and by continuing to talk over both Biden and Wallace, 
I think he did himself a disservice. And I, th- I think that that will reflect in the, the, the polls that follow. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's a, that's a really good point. I don't know that the moderator was a big help. I don't know that Chris Wallace was able to really do anything. Mm -hmm. He was able to ask a question, kind of, and then get feedback from both people as it went forward. I think that the over-talking and the insults from both sides, plus Biden's kind of condescension when he smiles and smirks. Yeah, you didn't like like that, did you? Well, he he did that with Paul Ryan when they debated, uh, and it's just his style. Did you do that with Palin in 08? I don't Do you remember? remember? Okay, I know it's a long time It's ago. been his style, so I, I believe so. Yeah. That type of behavior is, uh, it's not discussed. It's just who he is. It's just, And it's, you know, whether you can call it petty or not, it's irritating. So, <laughs> okay. yeah. I don't know what Chris Wallace's role was. About 15 minutes in the debate, it seemed like he was just herding cats. Mm-hmm. He would ask a question and would be completely derailed within the first 30 <laughs> seconds. And then they would try and circle back, or he would try and circle it back and, there wasn't really an answer. There were a few good points, coherent points from Trump when he would answer specifically what Wallace was asking. Yeah. And then he would go into the diatribe, which would go off the rails and all that. And, you know, to your point, I did like how Biden was speaking to the camera. Mm-hmm. The style was good. The substance, depending on what side of the aisle you're on, was either good or bad. But it, it, it was definitely a style versus the off the rails. I'm going to go straight at yeah. him. Where does this put us? Because to reference Dan's comment earlier, I, I posted about how this is kind of a subsample of where we are as, as Americans, mm-hmm. that it seems like we can't have conversations with people who don't agree with us yeah. because we'll be labeled. You know, you don't agree with me, so you're a fascist, mm-hmm. which there's a good percentage of people who say that who don't know what that word means, or there's there's or you're which is why you should listen to 15 minute history exactly like we that. we actually yep. define that word. Yep. <laughs> so I, where does if if it I guess my first question would be do you agree that this is kind of like an example of where we are as oh, a yes. culture absolutely and if so what do we do <laughs> like this... I don't know I those of you who've been with us since last season. You might remember there was an episode, I don't remember which one it was, we talked about how we can't have conversations anymore. I think it was in one of the episodes we were talking about the Cold War, and we were talking about the incredible divide, or maybe it was the 2016 episode, the incredible divide in this country, and what's it going to take to make us realize, oh gosh, there's more that unites us as Americans, left, right, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, whatever, than divides us. And... I made the point, and I think you made the point as well, that something is going to happen in this country that will ultimately shake us loose and make us realize that. And it's not going to be something that's good. It's going to be something traumatic. It's going to be something horrifying, probably. Unfortunately, it's this kind of political discourse on both sides. Some will argue it comes more from one side than the other. I don't want to get into that. That's not the point of what we're doing here tonight. But I think we've widened. The, di- the divide is wider now at 11.22 p.m. on September 29th than it was at 9 p.m. two and a half hours ago because we, g- we just got more of the same. We got more of, well, that's not right. Both Trump and Biden tonight said things that were accurate, that were factually correct, and the other side just said, oh, you're lying. No, that's not true. If we can't have a common set of facts 
that we can agree on. We can dispute the interpretation. We, we can dispute the policies. But the past is fixed. It's happened. And whether you're talking about Hunter Biden or you're talking about the jobs that were created under the Obama administration, whatever it is, there are genuine facts. And if we can't agree that those are facts, now let's move forward and see how we're going to make changes, how we're going to progress as a society. What else is there? I tell my students there are two ways to enact change in a society, and that's what elections are. They're a chance for there to be change. We can either progress in the way that the current president is, is doing things, or we can go a different direction. If we can't agree on a common set of facts and on a common set of ideals that represent what this nation is, what do we have left? First by the ballot, then by the bullet. I'm not suggesting there's going to be any kind of civil unrest. I don't know if there's going to be. I've, I've gotten every prediction wrong about 2020 so far, so I don't want to make a prediction here tonight. But every time there is a divisive moment and both sides immediately run to their tribe and say, you're a fascist, you're a communist, you're a Nazi, instead of saying, let's figure out how to solve the problem in a way that is going to benefit all Americans, not me against you, not my tribe against your tribe, we make it more likely that there is going to be a radical solution coming from one side or the other that is going to get people hurt and get people killed. And that's where that's where we're, that's right. where we're at. Agreed. And I don't want to I don't want to scare people. I don't want people to think go out and buy food and guns or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is somehow someone in this country, a leader, it's not going to be Trump, it's not going to be Biden, but we have better find someone soon who can say, who can genuinely unite this country around what truly matters. Yeah. And there's no one that I see on, e on either side who can do that. And that's scary, honestly. A great example tonight in the debate was when, when they were talking about law enforcement. Mm -hmm. So you have one side that says we need to defund the police, which not going to jump into that, but I mean, depending on how you define defund. Yes. That, right. Yeah. I mean, less money to the police mm -hmm. is, is that right. You have the other side saying, no, 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 we need to give more funding. And it's based on the premise that police are inherently racist or there's, there's racial tendencies or a disparity in, in, in that job mm -hmm. uh, against people of, of a certain a culture or, or background. Instead of having a conversation about some cops are, racist and we need to deal with that there's the conversations like all cops are and we need to defund them and we need to make sure that they can't do anything that they're doing now mm -hmm. and the other side it's like no 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 you're totally wrong no cop is that way no one feels that way and so there's no conversation we can't say hey hey i'm going to acknowledge the fact that as humans we are imperfect and there's going to be some people in law enforcement who are racist mm -hmm. and so there needs to be measures in place to hold them accountable or kick them off the force so that they don't impose their racist tendencies on a population. Yeah. I can acknowledge that. And I can say, hey, we need to do something about that. However, defunding the police is not an answer either. So how do we get that? So what if, just an idea here, we had community leaders work with the officers in, a, in that community who are dealing with the problems of the streets and they're communicating back to the community leaders saying, here's what we're experiencing. Can you assist us with these challenges that we're facing? Mm -hmm. That's a reasonable conversation I've heard some departments are having. And it's not extreme. It's saying we have 
two groups that need to come together and work together, both of whom are experienced, both of whom are, are in the street. And it's a conversation that they don't have to agree on everything, but there's a job that has to be done. We, everyone wants less crime. So how do we accomplish that together, having reasonable conversations with the stipulation that we don't have to agree on everything, but one side is going to hear the police officers who are dealing with the challenges, and the police officers are going to hear from the community saying, here's what we perceive happening. Can you change this perception, or can you stop doing these things? Yeah, and I think the key, the key to that, Joe, is the term you coined, reasonable conversations. Okay, we're not in a society right now, unfortunately, that promotes reasonable conversations. I would liken what we're into right now is more akin to third century Rome in the Penem and Circensis, bread and circuses type of environment where all throughout the debate tonight, I was thinking of the, the, of the, the YouTube video, I can't remember how many years ago it was, of the two old men getting into a fist fight out in front of the retirement home. And sadly, I think that's where we're at. Nobody seems to be focused on the issues. They just want to be entertained. And they want to hear what they want to hear. And not only do they want to hear what they want to hear, they want to hear what they want to hear from the person they want to hear it from. From their tribe. From their tribe. Tribalism is rampant in our country right now. So if, if you were for Trump before this debate, you are for Trump now. If you were for Biden before this debate, you are for Biden now. Because the substance and the reasonableness of the conversation didn't matter. Mm-hmm. We, we've descended, again, into this entertain me style or entertain me type of culture that says whatever I want to hear, whatever gets me going, I will accommodate and that is not healthy mm-hmm. for any society at all moving forward. Agreed. I think more than anything else for me, this debate is just another example of the trend, or it's another consequence of the trend that has existed in American history since the American Civil War, where we increasingly look not to the individual states and to localities, but to the federal government to solve problems. Because the reality is the federal government is the least capable agency within our society at fixing problems. I think about what Joe Biden said about how we're going to address the issue of racism. Donald Trump was asked about, are we, you know, he, he decided to end cr- the training on critical race theory. And he gave his response about how critical race theory is bad, blah, blah, blah. And then Biden said, listen, we need to address real issues of race in this country. But his solution is a top-down government mandate. I like going back to the Founding Fathers because I think most of them were, by and large, brilliant. They had their flaws. We all do. But they crafted a system where states and localities are going to be the ones who are solving most of the issues. And you brought it up in your, in your talk on policing. It needs to be localized communities solving this problem. Right. We don't have, as a society, we don't have the, the mindset of, we can solve some of these problems. It's always look to the Republicans, look to the Democrats, look to the White House, look to the Congress, look to the Supreme Court. The fact that we have a Supreme Court vacancy five weeks before an election should not matter because the Supreme Court should not have the kind of power to regulate every aspect of our daily lives that it does and that it has had since certainly the 60s 
you can argue going all the way back to Dred Scott. The Supreme Court should be the neutral arbiter that just says, this is constitutional, this is not. It should not be an agent of social change. The presidency should not be an agent, an agent of social change. The Congress should not be an agent of social change. If we're going to make changes as a society, we should make them. It should not be we look to the orange man or the sleepy man as agents of change. It should be we look to ourselves, we look to our community leaders, we look to our teachers, we look to our faith leaders, we look to our local officials. How do we solve this problem here in Indianapolis, whatever state, city, state you live in? That's how we solve a lot of these social problems that were the main focus tonight. There was very little on national issues apart from the economic discussions in terms of things that, that the federal government is equipped to handle. Everything else was stuff that really should be handled at local levels. And I know some people are going to say, well, we tried that during segregation and some states got it wrong. Yes, absolutely. But we do need a federal presence to say everyone's natural rights have to be protected. We've talked about right. that in the past here on this podcast. But you cannot have a top-down, one-size-fits-all system because, as we have talked about, government is a hammer. It is one tool. It is do this or we put you in prison. Government, not every problem can be solved by government. And I think that was made very, very clear tonight. Trump's solution to a lot of these issues, these social issues, will not work. Biden's solution to a lot of these issues will not work because they're not about changing laws. They're about changing hearts and minds. Government can't hold a gun to your head, literally, and say, stop being racist. Stop being greedy. Stop sinning. Stop whatever term you want or whatever, whatever fault you want to have. That has to be a change of the heart. And how do you change people's hearts? You change it one at a time through individual action. I see a problem in Joe. He has many. I'm going to help change them. I do not. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> how dare you, sir? My apologies. No. We, we see problems in our communities and we engage in them. We've lost that as a, as a nation right now. And that is so tragic. Because so many of the problems that we have in our country today could be solved by individuals saying, I'm going to take responsibility to change my local environment. And that change will have a ripple effect. But no, instead we look, again, to the orange man or the sleepy man to solve the problem for us. Agreed, 100%. One thing that I wanted to point out is as bad as tonight was, we've been here before. Mm -hmm. And we'll be here again. Next week. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully both candidates will have learned from something tonight, I hope. Uh, but even if they don't, we've been here before. And one of the wonderful things about reading and studying history, and John, you, you talked on the importance of reading in our last podcast. Uh, Which you should all listen to if you haven't yeah, already. Yeah. Shameless plug. <laughs> right. Having an understanding of history, not a rejection of history, understanding history and knowing what's happened before can give you perspective on what's happening now. And that's why we do what we do. Yep. That's why we're here at 1130 at night with friends and, and talking through this. With and school and work to with do With school tomorrow, and work to do. Yeah. I have to get up tomorrow at 430 and so on. Yep. So it's all to give the perspective of history so you don't walk away from a debate like tonight and say all is lost. Mm -hmm. It is not. We will go forward and we have the opportunity to say... This, a portion of this, is my fault. How do I improve the conversation on my end when somebody disagrees with me and say, you know what, we're not going to agree on this issue, but you're still an American. 
and we can still shake hands and walk away without throwing things at each other or hurling insults or or any of the things that we saw tonight. Mm-hmm. We can be better than what we have been because we live in a society that allows that. We have the natural rights that we exercise still, and we can do that daily. And we have voting rights, and we can we can make a change if exactly. we choose to, one, exactly. way, one way or the other. So as frustrating as tonight was, one of the things that I think we both wanted, to, or all of us here wanted to talk about is there's hope. It, we've been here before, and we'll be here again. And we have the choice every day to be better than who we have been. Well said. Yeah, and I think one of the things you touched on points back to, you talk about reading history and just reading in general. One of the things that I have read and one of the the seminal works of political theory in the past two or three hundred years has been Edmund Burke's Reflections on the French Revolution. And I think it comes down to one of the things you mentioned, John, was the nature of how change happens. Not only how change happens, but how productive change happens. Change happens. Productive change happens at the local level. Yep. Change happens by degrees. Change happens slowly. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, that is a That's how it sup- lasts. That's a superlatively good thing. Because we all saw the results of the French Revolution, right? Mm-hmm. They had barricades in Paris. They ostracized so many people within their local community because they were of a different political stripe or political party. Mm-hmm. Needlessly, compared with the American Revolution that founded on a, a set of concrete, God-given ideals, slowly sought to implement change over time. Mm-hmm. And at speak, the local level instead of at de- the local level, yeah, you know, mandated by the Committee of Public Safety, right? And that was, in, in, in my mind, that's the genius of the founding fathers. Mm-hmm. Is they they understood the system they were creating. That's why we're called the Great Experiment. We're not called the Great Solution. Yep. We're called the Great Experiment. Let's try this and see how it works. And if it doesn't work, let's tweak it over time to make it progressively better. Progress over time with a period of reflection and a period of mutual reflection and and understanding produces positive momentum. It produces positive change. Mm -hmm. So I think if we are looking, again, at Orange Man bad or Sleepy Joe bad, we're going to get it wrong. Because, again, as you said, neither one of them is going to provide the solution that we're looking for. Neither one of them is going to provide in one fell swoop a, a solution that we that we need. Yeah, I agree, absolutely. So, Joe, do you think we should uh, have Dan back during the discussion? Absolutely. Uh, we have our yeah. two part uh, episode on the French Revolution later this season. Yes, I think we should. Yeah, we'll we'll have Dan. We'll have you back if you're if you're willing. He's he's holding his thumb up for those who since you guys can't see it. <laughs> for those of you who can't see it. For those of you who can't see it, that's we have all no of cameras you. here, so for Apologies, our entire so audience. For the entire audience. Hey, I'm it's tired. late. Leave it's me late. Alone. Yeah. <laughs> I've been up since five. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Final thoughts, Joe. Was there any standout moments like you thought, oh wow, one side or the other genuinely did a good job? I think both of them had those moments, but it wasn't wasn't substantial either yeah. side. I was happy to hear some points made that were clearly defined by both groups. Mm-hmm. But I like that Trump actually did. He did. He did talk some policy. He I've did. been pretty critical of Trump today. There, there was, there yeah. were several moments where he was Absolutely. actually talking policy. 
Which was nice. Yeah, it was. My challenge is for myself is that if my hope was for them to at least talk about policy once or twice, then I need to elevate my standards. (laughs) So going back to taking personal responsibility, what are some things that I need to hold myself accountable to and what I expect public servants to do? All right. And just before we close, this podcast was an experiment in terms of doing a review after a presidential debate. If this is something that you would like to hear in the future, please let us know through our website, 15minutehistorypodcast.org. You can use the contact us button there. That's 15minutehistorypodcast.org. We love to hear from you. Well, thank you for joining us on this special debate night episode. We have a new episode coming to you next Monday on the Middle Ages, so stay tuned for that. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.